Welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. They should lie to people the whole time. Maybe this whole thing's a fiction. Maybe my name is Jean-Claude. Like as in Jean-Claude Van Damme? Similar, but different. You know, I, I met this uh, this woman. She was an old friend of my dad's one time, and and I saw her at this event, and and I I think she she'll she'll, she'll never listen to this, so it's okay. I think she had a little of some screws loose because uh, she saw me across the crowd, and she came up to me, and you know what she said? She said she said I swear I thought when you walked in the room that Jean Claude Van Damme had walked into the room. And you look like Jean Claude Van Damme. And I said, um, well, I've never gotten that one before. Hmm. Um, but he is a, a, a good-looking man. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Uh, I'm not as, uh, you know... I get uh, Steve uh, Buscemi all the time. Like, I, I would kill for that. I would kill for that, Paul. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, but Steve Buscemi is, like, say, more respected. Like sure. Got... That's not the point, though. No <laughs> one says you act like Steve Buscemi. People say you look like Steve Buscemi. There's a very important distinction there. Well, but he's a really good actor, whereas Jean-Claude Van Damme is not. I mean, Jean-Claude Van Damme is, is big and tough and, and, and everything like that. But um, And maybe Steve Buscemi has kind of made a career of playing like a lot of oddballs or kind of weirdos and everything. But it's, that's not the point, right? I, I feel like that is the point. Like literally, like when someone comes up to you, they're, what they're saying to you is not you. That I believe that you could have a successful acting career. What they're saying is you look like this guy who plays mostly murderers, right? You know, and which is just not a good, not great. Yeah, well, Jean-Claude Van Damme's killed a lot of people yeah, in movies, that, too. Yeah, that's going to point, yeah. He, so. he plays, but he, he, they always they always are nicer to, about how, how all the people he kills. You know, he gets to kill people like James Bond or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think he ever did kill James Bond, but I we'll, mean, he we'll kills maybe... People, he has like, license to kill, you know, that. that he is killing oh, he's people. Got a, like James Bond, like he's got James a license Bond. to kill. Exactly. Oh, he's see. not killing James Bond. Right, and he always seems to do it in the splits, which I never was able to manage. So, yeah. um, okay, this was a long preamble to... Uh, Getting at a deeper truth, yeah, uh, exactly. through fiction. So, so maybe there is some element to uh, those two people that you know others, you know, think of when they they see us. Maybe there's some deeper truth there. Yeah, maybe they're just right uh, in in, the, in, the, in their fiction. Yeah. So we're talking about the idea of sometimes you can, um, and we've had a couple of fiction stories on this, on this podcast, some full fiction stories. Yeah. This is, I think this story is a bit of a, a bit of a mix of both a little bit and that there's some sort of pieces of it that are definitely true. Um, and then some piece of it that are more fictionalized. And, and so we were thinking about this concept, which you've done previously, um, of, of using some sort of pieces of fiction to tie together a story that where, where the goal is sort of a, a nugget of truth. Mm-hmm. I, and I, I think that um, it sort of frees you up mm-hmm. in a way uh, to not be beholden to uh, say exactly what happened or... Or even, you know, maybe there's other people that were involved in the, like, if there's some story that you want to tell that is a true story, you know, sometimes it's, it affects other people. There's, you don't want to, you don't want to necessarily reveal, like, it's not your place to tell their, their their story. So sometimes going into a more fictional account um, can, uh, you know, can, can help to, to still be able to talk about that. And still be able to get at the different concepts or the different ideas that you want to hit on, but in a, you know, in a way that is, you know, not necessarily word for word kind of true. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of these things in which you, 
you need that piece of, of fiction to, to, to make, to make it work, you know, and, and again, mm. or, 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 or you can find a way to make it say more compelling. And like, in a sense, like, you know, we do a lot of true storytelling. That's the whole point of the, of most of the shows. And, and we're not sort of getting away from that uh, entirely here in any shape or form. But I do think there's at times, you know, we've actually said this before of the sort of concept of, um, of telling something that is true rather than factual, mm-hmm. which is a little different than what's happening with this story. Um, yes. In that when, when we say true versus factu- factual, what we usually mean is, you know, it's very weird in a short story to keep, to have to have three or four different meetings with someone. If you can make it if, like, if you talk to one person, you know, like over a span of a month, resetting the stage of a conversation four times is a, is a lot of a time suck where you can just push them all together and talk about it once. Right. Whereas this is sort of creating a, a different atmosphere and a different place or a different experience where you can get at something more deep. Yes. Uh, so we're, we're going to hear, um, from, uh, Melo IO who, uh, just was, on the show or on the uh, on the live show yeah. and um it was you know that was some interesting like when we were going through the workshopping sort of period this was a a, a story uh that he kind of revisited that he wrote a little while ago but um you know it's and we had those discussions through that that process uh of you know does it not that it doesn't matter if it's true or not but just that just that uh, we're mentioning earlier just it kind of frees you up to explore some ideas that you you just are interested in or you're thinking about yeah and i think for me the the key uh difference of stories that i would sort of want to be told um in this context and so or ways i would use fiction ways i wouldn't is that i would i think the key for me would be to keep the emotional impact part of the story to be true you know, mm-hmm. if I was going to tell sort of a fictionalized version of something that was still still did happen to me in some way or in some capacity, but but the rest didn't. I think I would still want there to be that sort of the emotional element to be the true part, um, and then you can sort of build up a scenario, a fictitious scenario around it that sort of allows you to get at that a little bit better or, or in a different way or in a way you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's sort of the way you can, like you know. I think the the pushback that would exist on on fictional storytelling um, more generally is the sort of concept of like, well, why do I care, right? Yeah, you know, I I um, I it's it's been it's a long sort of um, uh, thing that I've been thinking about. So uh, a while ago, uh, many years ago, actually, there was um, there was a movie uh, called Fargo, and funny enough, Steve. Chevy was yeah. in that movie. Yeah. Um, but at the beginning of the movie, uh, there was a title card that said something like, uh, you know, the, the, the names of the people were changed in this movie. Um, but, but uh, you know, to protect the innocent or the guilty, I can't remember exactly how it was phrased. Um, but they're like, rest assured, all of the things happen in this movie. And then afterwards, they the the filmmakers did actually say, you know what, that wasn't true. <laughs> they kind of based it loosely on a number of different. They kind of combined a number of different, right. you know, true crime sort of stories. But what they said is they they wanted people to look watch the movie through the lens of that they were watching something that actually unfolded you know, in the next 90 minutes, this is how it unfolded. Because mm. they actually thought people would be watching the movie in a different mindset than if it just, you know, was a movie that started without, you know, that kind of thing. But it's, uh, you know, 
it, it it's an interesting discussion to me because it gets real. People have their sides. Oh yeah, you know they have their definite sides. Like there's a total obsession in you know the podcasting world with true crime stories and like all of that kind of stuff. And it's it is amazing amazing things. But I I don't know. I kind of fall on the side that it's like it doesn't matter as long as it makes me feel something. Right. Yeah. You know, it's not a. It's that's what I'm really kind of looking for. Yeah, there was a really great. I'm gonna forget everything about it. There was a there was a great um, story recently that came out that that was written in uh, a magazine. This the, is bad. The cat story. I think so. The, but it was in the New Yorker. Yeah. The, the, the yeah the cat story. I think is. Yeah, it was a story about a woman's experience, and it basically was a story of a woman's relationship. Yeah, but, but like dating. Wasn't dating, it? yeah. yeah. It was, wait, a woman is dating, and and went viral. Yeah, went yeah went viral, and the goal of the story was very clear that it was to make it was to make you understand and feel like what um what it could feel like to be dating as as a woman, basically. Yeah. You no, know, and and like in the in the true kind of like in the, in the way that it, things can escalate and 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 go very sideways very quickly in a way that seems. It, you know, you could follow through the whole thing. You're like, yeah, it feels good, and that seems reasonable. And then, you know, things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, I think, that was fiction. I believe it was a work of fiction. It was a yeah. short story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I don't honestly recall like uh, how much, uh, you know, when it got like it kind of went huge, and yeah. how much it got picked apart for being true or not i don't know what was that if that I was i think an there issue. was a bit of that um yeah. and, and that's so people were like well she should have done this or this and it's like yeah. that's not the point that's of the, the story point. right yeah. the point of the story is is to make you feel something and it did it really you know that was why it worked that's why it went viral is because you read it and you would be like oh i get i it, it's giving me a, 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 a it's illuminating a experience that i would not have had yeah uh in the way that it's sort of written um and so so i th- there's a there's a there's a place obviously for for you know, people have been writing sort of root fiction that is like like real life forever. But you know, I and just as it sort of I, we're not to belabor this all, all these points and everything, but you know, something that I've really enjoyed when I've um, employed this kind of thing is to there's also a way that you can, and I think I think Mello kind of uses these tools in 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 uh, a very effective way is that you know you can almost take control of what you're of of a certain kind of scenario so like for me i remember i did a a story about an an ex an old relationship and the last part of the story was me writing a letter to her Mm. so it's like it didn't happen right or it didn't it happened uh you know it didn't happen that way but i kind of framed it like i was talking to her and it's kind of nice to be able to, you know, sort of like be able to explore certain ideas that you want and and kind of have a little bit more control or say in it um, after the fact to kind of help, you know, uh, help it make sense to you. Yeah. Yeah. And if the point is to get the point across, that's what matters. Yeah. So uh, we're going to hear uh, Mello. He's uh He's a spoken word artist and a uh, performer and a writer and uh, an author. And, um, you know, he, again, just sort of wanted to explore some of these ideas about uh, fathers and sons and parents and kids and all of these things. So let's uh, let's let's let uh, Mello take it away.
like Reading, I was sitting on the dock of the bay. A stale cigar perched between my lips and oblivion. As I watched the smoke spiraling out above the undulating waves of my aimless life. My dull life. The blue waves and gray smoke drifting together in the same general direction away from me. To take a day and make it what you want, to wrap it this way and that way and bend it to suit your taste, not to be daunted by it or get sucked into its vortex. Now, this is a day worth living. But this was not the day I was having. Instead, I was having a day not worth even living once. When suddenly, suddenly out of the mist of nowhere appeared this figure of a man, an old man who hobbled over and without prompting drew himself near to me. And the man opened his mouth and spoke. I'm an average beachcomber, and on early mornings and during sunset afternoons, I would do my daily rounds along the sand and pebble shore looking for something more. I would see beauty and peace in the brightly colored, smooth, and uniquely shaped stones that greeted me and adorned my path. Time and tempest had taken them in hand, threw them and hewed them and polished them, then placed them here for me to see. Awash by these waves, the stones would appear and disappear, which each receding and forward roll of the frothy sea. I would dash ahead to retrieve a particularly stunning one from its snug and sandy place, only to lose it as the foamy wave rushed forward to hide it from my view. But alas, the wave would soon retreat, revealing yet other stones that were exceedingly more exquisite than the ones before. And I would be thankful, thankful and relieved of my sorrow for losing the first. And so it unfolded, this oceanic ritual between seeker and truth, repeated with efficacy each morning and dusky afternoon until I almost became inured, only to stumble upon the biggest, most magnificent gem I've ever seen. And then it hit me. It hit me like a rock to the head, the significance of this daily stroll. I fell upon the sand, kneeling in prayer, knowing now more than I ever did before. Life loves me. Life loves me so much it will deny me that which I love for that which is even more lovable. Wait upon life, and life will renew your strength. They that wait will mount up with wings like eagles. No good thing will life withhold from them who seek diligently. 
I wallowed in the sand in a gyration of joy, immersing myself in the meaning of this discerning moment, only to be hit by yet another jewel. You see, human that I am, I miss deeply the things I have lost and miss even more the things I never had. You see, I had failed to appreciate the treasures that I do have here and now this very moment. I'd forgotten how to be grateful. My gyration stopped. I rolled over and I sobbed on the shore, adding tears of thankfulness to the other nuggets of truth that lay strewn all around me. So, it was here that my cigar fell from my lips. And self-pity, like chains, fell off into the depths of the water beneath me. Waters that were no longer rabid with fear, but rife with possibilities. Rising from his knees with eager anticipation, raising his eyes toward the sky, the old man held on to an outstretched hand that came seemingly from nowhere. He lifted himself from his erudition and resumed his walk. As I watched him leave, I rose from my knees. With nervous anxiety, I raised my eyes towards the same sky and reached out for the outstretched hand. Lifting myself from my stupor, I tried to walk again in search of my own stones. For many days and evenings, I returned to meet the old man by the sea. We would talk, talk for hours about his life and mine and the stones we had found. Our conversations were long and lucid, vivid and vivacious, full of rich, intense feeling of oneness. Once I told him I, was, I felt trapped by my past, that even though I had tried to shed the manacles that seemed inescapable. And he said, should we follow the dictates of our past, we would be damned to live in defeat and despair all our lives. If you can turn and move against the forces of your past, then by all means, you must. Reject the destructive tendencies of your miserable inheritance. Say no to their efforts to destroy you. Instead, destroy the ugly edifices that have, constructed, that have been constructed in your life and reconstruct a new milieu with different drives, new direction, meaning, and with a new power source. You can and you must turn the tide around. He spoke with such a firm assurance, as if there was no doubting or reservation, as if he knew the absolute truth of his words. His confidence invaded my qualms and swallowed them. I felt brave, brave enough to face a new world, but did not know quite how to do so. So I asked him, how can I turn back this mighty tide that threatens to overwhelm me. He looked knowingly at me and he said, I think for someone, anyone, to do something, there must first be a mental resolution. 
And having made this mental commitment, you need to work like hell to bring it to fruition. Anything less is an exercise in fantasy, a dream, a hope that something will happen without any effort on your part. You're already equipped to meet the demands of your existence. You can feel, think, visualize, analyze, theorize, synthesize, plan. You can project and work. Use these skills. Don't let complacency and strife rob you of your innate gifts. They are the answers. One night, he spoke lovingly and memorably to me. I felt his kindness piercing my vulnerability, paring it down to the point where I could trust more of myself to him. I felt one with him. I shared my fears, my hopes, my dreams, and I told him how much I've always wanted to lift my life to heights hitherto attained by me or anyone else in my generation. He never laughed, never questioned my audacity. I told him I was never able to find the right wind to take me higher, never been able to hold my own at those levels of turbulence without getting flustered, never able to sustain my grace of flight for any length of time except short. He never ridiculed me, never judged or belittled. He listened earnestly. And when I told him how I had failed wretchedly in the pursuit of my own purpose, I saw in his eyes compassion and understanding. And then he said, be gentle with yourself. The wind you need is beneath and behind you, ready to sustain you. Each day, be thankful. Recommit yourself afresh to the endeavor of soaring beyond. Let your thinking, your speech, your attitude, your style, your relationships, and your entire being reflect something of that commitment to rise above the ordinary. One day, you will rise. You will rise above your limitations, and your second best will become yesterday's accomplishment. Events may erode and undermine your efforts, but you don't have to let them conquer or subdue you. You can rise and persevere in goodness. Circumstances do not have to have the final say. With humor, with mastery and creative excellence, it is, it is possible. Chaos can be conquered. Life can be celebrated. With a life-affirming attitude, difficulties can be faced squarely through improvisation innovation, the challenge of living can be met with equanimity. Life can be a low-down, dirty shame, but it does not have to rob you of your, your humor, your charm, your, your elegance, your ability to persevere. Do not let circumstances overwhelm you or frighten you into doing things you don't wish to do. Do not be afraid to be different, to excel. Believe in yourself without fear or shame. You are beautiful. You are ugly. Don't be afraid to be either. Don't be afraid to be humble. Build yourself as strong as you know how. Learn to stand and be free. Be free in who you are. His words of encouragement was like food to me. No one 
has ever spoken with me like this before. I cried, cried at each utterance. I felt weightlessness as if a load had been raised from my sagging zeal. For the first time, I felt loved. Loving in the company of an older male. I'd been such a dismal, dismal failure at loving that I'd grown to distrust my own sense of love. I wanted to tell him how much I loved him, but I didn't. Instead, I told him I was grateful, grateful for his entrance into my life and how much stronger I had become as a result. I promised him I would restore wholeness and integrity to my living, that I would replace deceit with truth, weakness with strength, fear with boldness, ugliness with beauty, and wayward conduct with a sense of purpose. And then he said, my son, the fact that you are here today suggests that you did not give up and that your flame still burns brightly. That of itself confers upon you the right to be here. You have earned it or else you wouldn't be. What is it that you have? What is it that you bring? What is it that you have collected in your soul on your torturous and glorious journey? Is it hate, anger, despair? Is it resentment, disenchantment? Or is it love, compassion, insight, hope? Whatever it is, it really doesn't matter. It is all right. It is all a part of your material. It is not where you've been that counts, it is where you're going. It is not what you bring to the here and now that defines you. It is how you use what you have that will determine where you go from here. My son, the basic essential requirement is not that you should discover love, but rather that you should become love. Allow love to find you. Walk on and remember, you can never walk alone. I wish you peace, my son. It was the last time I ever saw him, this old man by the sea. He asked nothing of me except my best and my attentiveness. I remember his words as if they were mine and as if they were spoken not yesterday, but now. The next day, I woke up with my own father on my mind. I don't know why exactly. He wasn't dead, but he may well have been, for I had not seen or spoke with him for years. This was nothing new. It has always been like that. Ours was not the relationship where we covered each other's back. I would have liked that, but it just never happened that way between us, and there was no hope that it ever would. With my father, it was touch and go. Actually, it was more go than touch. We rarely made contact. And yet, something deep inside me wished it wasn't so. I longed for him. Wanted to love and admire him even as he would love and admire me. 
if he only knew. I regret not having my father around at those important moments, my first day at school, my first suspension from school, my first school play, first graduation, first track race, first student elected leadership position, my first girlfriend, first kiss, first heartbreak, first fight, first major setback, my first major achievement, first anything. His presence, companionship, advice were never available. And life, my life, went on without him and his without me. So in my father's absence, my mother fathered me, made me as well as I could before she left. Last Mother's Day night, I imagined her all around me. She was in the stars, the stars that shone gloriously above her light, illuminating the way for lonely people. She was in the ocean that spread all the way beyond where I was standing, her love washing the shores of many troubled places. She was in the sand on the shore, too, each grain too numerous to count as they spread for miles further than the eyes could see. I imagined her enfolding me with her compassion and presence, a presence that never diminished with time but even got stronger with its passing. Yes, I had awoken with my father on my mind, but it was the presence of my mother that overwhelmed me that morning. I opened the card that rested with me that night and I read it as I had so many times the days previous. Happy Father's Day, Dad, it said. I love you and miss you and wish you were here, your only loving daughter. It was in that moment of epiphany that it occurred to me. The old men by the sea was my mother, reappearing posthumously to prepare me for this day. In her disguise, she had become the person I wished for the most, my father. It was Father's Day today, my seventh. Without hesitation, I called my daughter up and knew from then on my life would never be the same. Thank you. Subscribe to the Stories We Don't Tell podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about the podcast, blog, and live events, find us on Facebook or visit storieswedonttell.org. This episode of the Stories to Tell podcast is brought to you by Paul's Disinterest. Paul's Disinterest, worth every penny.